Welcome back to the Pilot Network Podcast. I'm Matt, a co-host of the show. Adam's out doing some TPNX planning, so I've got an awesome interview with Keith Broxo from Wingman Med. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It uh, So we've been trying to get you on the show for just a little bit here and, and talk about what you do, but I, I think something that all professional pilots and military pilots, for that matter, tend to think about on a pretty regular basis is uh, either their their FAA medical or their uh, their their military pilot qualification medical and all those sorts of things. Medical issues are a constant threat, as it were, to a, a pilot's profession. Um, kind of regardless of of where they are, you never know when something can come up. So I think it was especially uh, good to to hear from you and, and start learning about what Wingman Med does and, and that sort of stuff. But before we l hear more about that, uh, do you mind telling us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and, and how you came to uh, be one of the partners at Wingman Med? Certainly. So once again, my name is Keith Roxo, and I'm a board-certified aerospace medicine physician. I actually started off my career in the military as a pilot. I was a F-18 pilot graduated from Top Gun in 2005 and thought I was just going to be a pilot for the rest of my life. Um, but as things happen with, you know, our personal lives and with the way the military wants to structure the careers, I ended up leaving active duty, was in the reserves for a couple of years and decided for a new challenge and went to medical school. Decided to come back in the Navy as uh, a doctor and pursued aerospace medicine, keeping with aviation as my, my primary passion. Uh, one thing I noticed is that, you know, I'm in my mid 40s now and a lot of my friends that I started time in the military with um, have either retired recently or are looking at retirement now. And we noticed a lot of these guys over a 20 plus year career have had a few medical issues and they've had some complications getting their FAA medical certificate. Um, being an aerospace medicine physician, I'm also a qualified FAA um, medical examiner. So I'm familiar with both the military and the civilian systems. So I started helping these guys out um, and realized after a few of them where they told me, you know, you could probably help a lot of other people out as well. And so with a couple of my partners who were like me, they were professional military pilots before going to medical school, we've joined forces to create Wingman Med. No, that's great. So Wingman Med sounds like an awesome, uh, opportunity to kind of discuss what the mission is so the the name is is pretty obvious but do you mind telling us a little bit about the overall mission what wingman med is designed for and uh how how you help pilots absolutely so our main goal is to keep you flying that is our purpose uh, we understand that there are lots of both little and large medical issues that could disrupt a career, particularly a pilot career, more so than most other types of jobs out there. We've experienced it ourselves as pilots, uh, and now we see it on the doctor side taking care of our patients as well. But what we offer that's different is we are pilots helping pilots achieve that FAA medical certification with confidence because we understand both sides, the pilot side and the doctor side. No, that's great because I know a lot of the conversation oftentimes, you know, while you're on active duty or your entire military career is, okay, let, let's get through this, this 
annual physical with the flight doc, the flight surgeon, so I can keep my pilot qualification, have no issues. And then as you're making uh, the transition at some point, oftentimes to the commercial airlines now, there, there's the FAA aeromedical examiner, the AME, um, that, that you have a new set of kind of standards and rules that you need to consider. And so um, what are some of the overall uh, things to think about as you're making the transition from a military uh, medical into a, an FAA, you know, FAA commercial medical, something like that? Well, particularly for people making the transition from the military, they're used to their flight surgeon knowing virtually everything about their medical history. So when they go in for their next annual, if really nothing has changed, their flight surgeon doesn't really care about the thing that happened four or five years ago if it hasn't stopped them from flying. But when you go to do your very first FAA medical, they're asking you for, have you ever, right? There's a lot of have you ever questions. And since it's the first time, it can be a little frustrating because now you have to report all of these things and they may want proof that you're okay. Meanwhile, you think, well, I've been fine. I've still been flying in the military, but the FAA, they don't have access to all of your old military records. They're not your flight surgeon that has known you for one to three years in that tour. So they're going to want proof that whatever that condition is, is still okay to fly with. That's good. So honestly, honesty is always the best policy. And never lie, of course. Um, but what is the, what's your advice for someone who's going in for their first FAA medical or, or any FAA medical? How much disclosure is too much disclosure, right? So, you know, it's like a check ride where it, you answer the question that's asked, or do you go into detail? What, what, where's the spectrum there on how to have that discussion with your, your AME? Where's the line? Sure. We, we definitely advocate that honesty is the best policy. And the primary reason why we do that is the FAA will let you fly with a lot more things going on than the average pilot thinks. It takes significant illness or injury to cause you to lose your medical. And that's what people are frequently afraid of. But in reality, as long as you can prove that you are still safe to fly, you will get a medical certificate. And so that's what it comes down to is that proof. So be open and honest, but know that if you have medical issues, the more complicated they are, the more likely you need to be prepared to answer the, we would like more information. Uh, and that's one of the things that we offer. Um, we also uh, include a simulator on our website that is a MedExpress simulator. So if you've never filled out the MedExpress for the FAA, you can run through our simulator just to get an idea of what the questions are, know how you're gonna answer them, and then think to yourself, ooh, should I, do I need proof of these things? Um, as, as an example, if you had a broken arm a year ago, well, that's gonna be listed in the medical appointments within the last three years question. But if your broken arm is perfectly healed and fine, then they're really not gonna need any paperwork because the doctor is going to be examining you and notice that, oh, his arm works just fine. But there are other things that can be more complicated. Uh, for example, migraines, things that the doctor can't necessarily see in his exam that might require that type of paperwork. So something that uh, TPN members ask about all the time is, is VA disability. So let's say you've been in the active duty military for 10, 12 years, and you're getting ready to make the transition to the Guard Reserve. 
uh, at which point the, the VA gives you the opportunity to file for, for disability uh, benefits and those sorts of things. They also do that at the end of an active duty career, uh, you know, at the full 20 year point. How, how does VA disability impact your FAA medical when you make that shift? So VA disability doesn't really impact anything other than the fact that you are required to answer the question, do you have any disability? So that is a formal disability rating if you get given that by the VA. So you do have to answer yes if you've been given a VA disability rating. What the FAA doesn't care about is what the percentages are. They don't care if it's 50% or 80%. What they care about is the condition and how does it affect you right now. So kind of going back to that broken arm example, you may have broken your arm in your third year in the military, and now you have a 10 or 15% disability from that arm that you broke a decade ago when you got out of the 13 or 14 year mark. Well, you're going to report that as, yes, I have a VA disability for a broken arm. But again, that examiner, when he sees you that day, is going to be like, well, he doesn't have any problems with his arm right now. So they don't really care if it's a 20% or a 50%. The percentage doesn't really matter. What's important is the diagnosis. So really, the VA disability itself does scare a lot of people because, oh no, I have to check that box and that box says disability. And now I'm telling the FAA that I'm disabled. But that's just a technical term and it really doesn't have a total bearing on your current health necessarily. And that's something that Wingman Med is well versed in. And if there's a concern or you have questions about that, that's an example of some something that they would reach out to you and you could walk them through that. And give them some peace of mind. Absolutely. And we will offer a free 15 to 20 minute com consultation with folks to kind of answer some of the easy questions. And we do get that question every now and then. Um, similarly, you'll get people who frequently just didn't think that their VA disability met the criteria of answering that disability question on the FAA MedExpress. And we had a gentleman recently, he, he had a conversation with a friend who asked him, hey, how did you handle your VA disability on your MedExpress? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm not disabled. And he's like, oh, you didn't get any VA disability? And he's like, oh, wait, is that what that question talks about? I thought it meant, do I have any actual real disabilities right now? And so he called us a little scared because he had been marking no to that question for several years. And so we walked him through that process as well. So that, that brings up a great point is, let, let's say you've been, answering truthfully to the best of your knowledge for, for years under FAA Medical, uh, and you discover something like that, it, what's in general terms, I know it, it highly depends probably on the person, the situation and all that sort of stuff, but what, what's the general route to get, you know, coming in from the cold, if you will? The, the general route is if you're healthy, don't freak out. <laughs> so, don't start losing sleep and, and, and freaking out about it. Um, in general, the FA medical department is not at all interested in prosecuting people. Now, we do know from talking to the FA medical folks that their legal arm and the NTSB, those folks are kind of interested in going after folks. So, but the FA medical doesn't turn them in. They don't say, oh, well, this guy just changed his answer. So we need to look into this. That's not what they do. So don't freak out. Just be prepared to change that answer on the next one. And we always recommend including a letter that discloses why you have a different answer now when you're disclosing things that are actually significantly older. 
And again, it comes down to what are the diagnoses and how do those affect your ability to fly? That makes sense. So it, I think that that kind of leads us into uh, another topic is, is what happens when you go to your, your AME? Uh, and I think you and I have talked offline that there are three possible outcomes from that visit. Do you mind uh, kind of walking us through what those three outcomes might be um, and what the implications of them are? Sure. When you go to the, the AME, you're going to have already completed your MedExpress online. So a lot of the questions that you answer are going to drive some of the discussion that the doctor has with you. He's going to do a basic physical exam, um, testing your vision, things like that, that are part of the standard exam that's required. If you're getting a first class and you're you know, over the age of 40, you're going to get an EKG for every one of those exams. Um, there's going to be a urine test. And then based on the exam and your questions uh, and the discussion, you can either be issued your medical certificate, you can have your decision on that medical certificate deferred to the FAA, or you can be denied your medical certificate. Okay. And so let's talk about the deferral for a moment. What, what does that deferral actually mean? Does that mean you, you failed your, your class one medical or is that some, something else? No, the deferral is not a failure of the exam. What it means is the AME doesn't have all the information necessary to issue the certificate. A lot of different medical conditions will have criteria to issue. And if you can provide that to the AME at that time, then he can probably issue you the certificate. Now, certain things he is not allowed to issue on the spot regardless, and those are required to be deferred to the FAA. And then the FAA is gonna come back and say, hey, we want a whole bunch more information before we decide on your case. And that makes sense. So if, and then, and then what is the denial mean? Does that mean your, your medical, whether it's a first class or, or second class or third class, whatever you're going in for, is permanently denied or is there a, a process by which you can regain that that medical so it is very rare to get denied by the ame specifically because the faa doesn't want to have to deal with the appeal process particularly if the local ame made the incorrect decision so they usually recommend hey defer it and if it does have to be denied we'll be the ones that do it with that said it does not mean it's permanent if whatever the condition caused it um, goes away, uh, we can go back to the broken arm example. If I show up for my FAA first class exam with my arm in a sling because I have a broken arm, I should fail that exam. I should be denied that medical certificate at that time. Um, once my arm is healed and I'm all good to go, now I can get my certificate back. But let's say it's a more chronic condition um, you know, that isn't necessarily going away. This is something that's now with you for the rest of your life. Uh, if you get denied, you can always appeal. And then if you get denied again, you can always appeal to the NTSB at that point. But that is a long and complicated process. Sure, the undoubt, undoubtedly requires lots of paperwork and doctor's visits and, and a lot of follow-up, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, I guess that back, using your broken arm example, let's say your your medical is your first class medical is due next month and, and you break your arm or, or sprain your ankle or something like that. Uh, aside from your job, uh, obviously you would be, uh, you know, sick for your trips. You wouldn't be able to fly. Um, but 
from a medical perspective, do, does that have any, would you, would you want, would you advise someone to go in and get their medical and be deferred uh, or to allow their medical to lapse and then just go back when they're better? Is there a difference? Always, yes, always better to let it lapse and then go back when you're better. Um, the deferred process can add many, many months of time uh, when maybe you only need a couple more weeks until you're actually ready for your exam and you can get your certificate issued. So to, the, to read into that answer a little bit, uh, you're saying that uh, a lapsed medical doesn't have any long-term implications. It, you just, it, it's just lapsed and then you go in and get a new one and it just rehacks your clock. Correct. As long as you're not trying to fly aircraft at the level that your medical certification would require, the FAA does not care that your medical has left. Okay. That's great to know. We get that question a lot and it's, it's something that we're certainly not qualified to answer. So it, it's, it's always nice to, to ask that from someone who certainly is. Um, so that begs the question, when, when is the best time to reach out to Wingman Med and, and the service that you guys provide? Is it, is it when you're I mean, it, for me, the obvious answer is is sooner is probably better. But at what point is the is the best result uh, usually observed? You know, when they think they have a problem or or they're going in for their medical or something like that. So it's kind of going to depend on the scenario. So if we use the previous scenario we discussed of somebody leaving a, a long term career in the military and they are expecting to have some VA disability they should reach out to us as soon as they know what they're kind of leaning towards for the VA disability and before they do their, their next FAA medical or once they've received their VA disability rating, um, that's a good time to, to get us involved as well so that we can have time to help them prepare for that next FAA medical. Um, if it's somebody who's you know actively flying and they're otherwise normal and healthy and then they have a you know fairly significant medical issue, then, you know, probably as soon as they are obviously handle the immediate medical issue first, um, but then it's probably a good idea to reach out to us earlier rather than later, like you said, so we can start working on the path to getting everything we need prepped and ready for the next medical. That makes sense. So, so any new issue that occurs, it, it's probably, you're saying it's a better idea to get the information from you and, and kind of look into that before you go into your next medical and, and be prepared so you know what to expect. Yes, that's that would be our recommendation. So again, we offer that free 15 to 20 minute uh, consult, which we can answer simple questions like, hey, is this something I should be worried about? No, you'll be fine. Just make sure you bring this with you. Um, we also do offer a subscription service for people who just wanna have constant contact with us so that they can email or call us kind of anytime. Um, and they don't necessarily need help with a full case. They just wanna be able to get pro level answers to some of their medical questions on a regular basis. Can you tell us some of the general dif differences between uh, a military flight doc or flight surgeon uh, and an FAA AME? Sure. So in the military, people are gonna get usually around a minimum of six weeks of training. So the Air Force and the Army typically do about six weeks of training for their flight surgeons. Now these are a lot of times doctors who have finished medical school, they've done their first year of residency training, also called internship, and then they'll go off to this you know, six weeks of dedicated aviation specific training. 
Um, now in the Navy, they actually do a significantly longer school because uh, in the Navy, they, they put them through the same academics and swim survival as the aviators themselves. And they give them approximately 10 hours of flight time in both fixed wing and helicopters. So that process ends up taking about six months long. And that extra time is not something that the, the Army and the Air Force typically do, although they do have some advanced programs as well. So they get that dedicated training, but they may or may not be a board certified position. And then they get sent out to their individual units. Um, and they are the primary care doctor for that unit. And they are the flight surgeon as well. Whereas on the civilian side, there are very few doctors practicing medicine who are not board certified or at least residency complete and waiting for the results of their board certification exam. And those doctors have the option, if they want, to become FAA uh, aviation medical examiners. Now, you'll get some people who it's kind of a hobby. They're, you know, they're pilots themselves, so they enjoy doing it, and they might be an anesthesiologist which doesn't make a whole lot of sense for being an AME, but they are doctors and they can go get the qualification with the FAA. Or a lot of them tend to be family medicine or internal medicine doctors, and they kind of have a regular primary care practice set up. And this is either a supplemental income or again, just you know something of a hobby. And they will go to uh, Oklahoma City uh, to the FAA medical and get a week of training. And what you kind of have to understand with that is it's mostly a week of training in how to do the exams and do the paperwork. They're not really learning a whole lot about aviation medicine itself. The folks that really generate business and kind of dedicate their whole practice into it, they're gonna do a lot of self-study and become quite smart on aviation medicine, um, but that's only if they choose to. And then you have guys like myself and my two partners where we were all professional pilots first, and then we've all gone through a full residency in aerospace medicine. So. It's kind of a niche specialty. Uh, it's not very common. And it is not just one year after medical school. It's a full three years. So it's the same length of time as a family medicine or pediatric or internal medicine residency training program. But it's dedicated to aerospace medicine, where we do a lot of training with the FAA, uh, with NASA, with the different services. Um, and so it is a full specialty in aviation and space medicine. And let's say you're moving to a new city, you're, you're transitioning, uh, you're looking for an AME, you want to get, you, you need to get your first, first class medical, or you, you just need to change doctors for whatever reason. Um, what's the best way to search out an AME and are they all created equal? So right now, the best way is to try and get recommendations from friends that you know in the area or coworkers. If you're an airline guy and you're moving to a new hub, surely there's going to be other airline guys who are kind of in the know in that area. Um, so that's really the best way. And because of that second part of your question, are they all the same? No, they are not the same. Um, kind of like I mentioned before, there are some who make a dedicated practice of doing aviation medical exams. And those guys are generally going to be the pros. But they are not scattered everywhere around the country. They're going to be in select locations. There's not a ton of them. But there are over 2,000 AMEs in the country. Most of them are going to be that family medicine, internal medicine doctor who slips these in on the side. If you're perfectly fine, have no health issues at all, those guys are going to be just fine. If you have complicated medical issues, those guys are probably not going to be able to handle it. And it's not that they're not smart enough or not good enough doctors. It's more that their practice isn't set up to handle a complicated aviator case. 
it requires case management, getting the old documents, reviewing those documents, and they probably don't have a payment structure set up um, to incorporate that into their time of their day. Um, and that's one of that's why we started our service because using us, you can go to any AME. Um, and then another way to find an AME is the FA does have a database, but it's a little clunky and hard to use. You kind of go through there and it's going to give you this tabular list. But we do have a new website that's going to be coming out soon. Um, and we hope that's going to be uh, a significant advantage to folks looking for AMEs in new locations. Okay. And can you kind of tease a little bit what, what that website is going to be and, and some of the features that you'll offer there? Sure. So if you think about something like hotels.com or Travelocity and you go and search for an area and it's going to give you um, a list, uh, display listings, and it's going to have a map and you can you know, move the map around and it'll dynamically search as you move the map around. That's what we're doing for AMEs as well. Um, more importantly, uh, what we think is going to be a key aspect is in addition to having Google reviews available for people to see, we're going to allow for what we're going to call pirates. So pilot reports or pilot reviews of the doctor from a pilot standpoint. So if we can get people to generate reviews on doctors they've seen in the past, then when you go to a new city and you're like, I need to find an AME because I'm going to expire in a month or two on my medical and you go look there. Wouldn't it be great to see two or three other pilot reviews of that AME? Like, did this guy handle my case? Or was I a mildly complicated case and he deferred me when he shouldn't have? That kind of thing. Um, trying to give that inside information to pilots from other pilots. Um, it's going to start out with just the basic listings that the FAA gives you. Are they first class capable? Are they HIMS capable? Or are they limited to second and third class? Obviously, if you're an airline guy, you need that guy who can do a first class. Um, but what we're also hoping to include in there is the option for some of these AMEs to have enhancements to their listings, upload photographs, um, say whether or not they work with wingman med for the complicated cases, um, display their own pilot qualifications. Again, some of these guys, it's their main hobby. They, they are pilots also. I know I like going to pilots for my doctors as a pilot more than I like going to guys who have no clue what my job is like. No, that's good. So you mentioned a HIMS AME. Can you talk a little about what a HIMS AME is and and uh, what's special about that? So a HIMS AME is someone who focuses more on mental health and drug-related issues. So if someone has had either in the past and they're looking to get their first medical or current uh, mental health concerns uh, or mental health issues, I should say, um, or they have had a problem with drugs or alcohol in the past, then their medical is going to have to go through a HIMS AME. And a HIMS AME is typically an experienced senior AME. So senior meaning they're qualified to do first class and they've been doing it for a while. And then they get some advanced training really in how to read and understand a lot of the mental health notes and then come up with their own recommendation. A HIMS AME, uh, if you're going to them, will never be able to give you the certificate themselves. It will always have to be deferred. But for certain conditions, you will have to go see that HIMSS AME before the FAA will even review your paperwork. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So what about new issues? Let, let, let's say you are, um, mental health is, is something that is very in the, uh, the zeitgeist right now. And, and it's one of those things where we like to talk about it here because the mental health conversation and, and whether or not you're fit to fly is, is very subjective. 
Um, it, it's a very fine line. So um, is, you know, I, I guess it's almost an entire show in and of itself, but let's say there's some mental health concerns that you're putting off because you don't want to put your medical at risk or uh, even something as simple as, as some sort of sleep issues, like a, a potential sleep apnea or something like that. Run of the mill stuff that the average person wouldn't even consider as an issue. They'd go into to a doctor, get it looked at, but pilots tend to um, push it aside and and pretend like it doesn't exist. What what would your advice be to pilots that are either struggling with this or thinking about it, or uh, it, it's it's not an acute problem, but it's something that is kind of weighing on their mind that that they're considering whether or not they should talk to somebody. I'm asking well, for a friend. Yeah, of course. Um, well, overall, you know, stress can play, um, just wreak havoc on the body in various ways. And so it's never good to just be in a constant state of stress. So kind of in keeping with our, you know, be truthful and be honest at all times, part of that is being truthful and being honest with yourself. So if you are struggling with any type of medical condition, it is always better to get early intervention um, because chances are you can get help before it becomes a real problem. Um, you know, just because you go see uh, an independent counselor for some stress in your life does not mean you're going to get diagnosed with anxiety or depression. Um, but if you wait six, eight, 12 months to the point where, you know, that monkey on your back turns into a gorilla, maybe you'd have full-blown anxiety or depression, and now you need intensive treatment and medication, which is, that is going to wreak havoc with your, um, with your medical. So if you catch those things early, you can catch them long before they become a true mental health issue. Now, that's not to say that there aren't true mental health issues that come up suddenly. There are. And for those, again, it is better to go ahead and get that treatment. I have a saying I used to I used to tell this to my other pilots in my squadron and I used to tell it to the to the I was significantly older than the other medical students and residents uh, going through. Um, if you can't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of anyone else either. So it's okay to look out for number one when the goal of looking out for number one is that you can then take care of your family and your friends and your coworkers and your squadron and your teammates and things like that. Absolutely. So it circles back to the same thing. Honestly, is the best policy, whether that's with yourself, your AME, your, your flight surgeon, uh, all of the above, I think is is the best policy because the, these folks are are there to help you and keep right. you flying in general. Um, and it sounds like uh, what Wingman Med is doing is is almost providing a little bit of an intermediary to where you can. Uh, non retributionally ask these questions uh, on your specific situation. I think that's incredibly valuable because um, you you want people to reach out, get help, take care of themselves, uh, not put it off until it can no longer be ignored sort of thing. Right. And all conversations with us are completely confidential. Yeah, it, it, that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. So what type of, uh, confidential confidentiality or protection are they given is it, is it doctor patient confidentiality or is it a some sort of uh you know commercial like a promise of confidentiality or what what level does that fall to when, when they speak to you 
So because we are operating more as a consulting agency than as a doctor-patient relationship, it is more the our company's promise on confidentiality. Now, there are obviously certain things if you call us and tell us, hey, I'm going to do something really bad on my next flight. Well, then, you know, we have no choice but to say something about that. Um, but if you call us and say, hey, you know, I'm concerned about this issue. I'm not sure if I should get this addressed. Um, you know, I'm concerned about the diagnosis and what that will mean for the medical. It, we're not going to hang up the phone and call the FAA and be like, hey, this guy just called us and we're concerned about his medical condition that he hasn't disclosed. Um, that's not something we're going to do. So our confidentiality is more that corporate base, like this is our promise that we're going to keep everything confidential confidential and that is it's based on the doctor patient relationship style but we don't have a true doctor patient relationship because we are not your treating physician sure no that's a good distinction to make and it's not not that it in any way cheapens the the value of the conversation but i think that's important to know just what the level of confidentiality is and and what the what the relationship is when you have that discussion and i, I think that's something that's important for folks to know Along that line of thinking, is it is it concern about a condition that could have uh, negative implications or a deferral on your uh, your FAA medical, or is it uh, the actual diagnosis of something that's the problem? Is there and is there a distinction there? So there really isn't a distinction, and a lot of people would like there to be a distinction. Uh, for example, let's go back to the broken arm. I have fallen off of my bicycle because I was out riding with my kids and I broke my arm. No doctor has diagnosed me with my broken arm. Am I safe to fly? I don't have a diagnosis of a broken arm, so I should be good to fly, right? Well, no, I have a broken arm. And the, you know, the CFRs even say, hey, if you know that you have a medical condition that would prevent you from passing your next medical, you are not to fly, you are to ground yourself. And so that's really what it comes down to, whether it's something obvious like a broken arm or something less obvious like, man, I can't stay awake at two o'clock in the afternoon because I am not sleeping at night for whatever reason. That's good. And, and let's say you you ground yourself for whatever reason you, you got. So I'll just speak to something that happened recently to me, and I've already spoken with my AME about it, and it was a year ago and it was no problem. Uh, but it was something that I was concerned about to where I got some, I was out doing some yard work and I got some dirt in my eye. And I was really, really concerned about the implications of that going into my medical. Uh, but I was never diagnosed with any sort of issue. My vision came back after a couple, it, it, not that my vision went away, but my everything was normal. The dirt was washed out of my eye within a couple of days and uh, my vision was completely normal after the fact. So for those sorts of events, you ground yourself. Uh, it, it's in between visits with your AME, so it doesn't have, you don't have any conversations per se. At what point do you need to have that discussion with your AME? Is, is it something that uh, if it doesn't affect you ongoing, if it's not you know something that's chronic or it's just a random life event, is that a discussion you need to have with your AME? Or do they just need to know the facts and nothing but the facts? Where Where's the line there from your recommendation? So it really depends. Um, in certain circumstances, let's say your example where you got some stuff in your eye. So it's entirely possible that you can get some stuff in your eye and you can easily scratch your eye and that will hurt really, really bad. 
and you're going to be very light sensitive. Um, and you may go to the doctor, you may not go to the doctor. Let's say for, we'll look at it both ways. Let's say you don't go to the doctor and you tough it out and you call off your schedule because you, you can't see with, you know, light in your eye and it's tearing up and it's hurts. Um, but four or five days later, you're perfectly fine. You tell schedules, Hey, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, you never went to the doctor for it. Do you need to tell your AME? Absolutely not. It was a very minor short-term injury. Same thing. You got the flu for, you got the 48 hour flu. Um, we won't talk about COVID because they do have to report that. Um, but you got the flu or you got a cold, uh, you had a pretty serious head cold. Um, and you took yourself off the schedule for a few days. If you never went to the doctor and never took, you know, medications that are not, are not allowed, then you're going to be fine. You don't really have to mention that. If it's something different where it's a chronic issue or you did seek medical treatment, um, let's say you did go to the eye doctor, you're going to have to report it as, yes, I went to the eye doctor for what turned out to be a scratch on my eye. But as long as you pass the eye exam in that FAA medical, you're going to be fine. They're not going to want any other information. Um, but if you went to the eye doctor because you had this pain in your eye and while they were there, they found out, oh, hey, your eye pressure is really high. We think you have glaucoma. Well, that's going to be a different story. Now that's going to be something that if your AME doesn't know how to handle that, it's going to have to be deferred to the to the FAA. Um, no, that's a good discussion because it, it's one of those things that life happens, uh, and and pilots are, <laughs> pilots are no are not exempt from uh, accidents and incidents and all that sort of stuff, uh, non aviation related. I mean, there's, you know, you, when you're not on duty, you, you're still doing yard work and up on the roof and and doing <laughs> cleaning leaves out of the gutters and all these things, and and you need to you need to be careful about those things, but. Uh, a lot of professional part 121 airline pilots that are going after the the first class medical are also starting to get into their 40s their 50s you know maybe uh low to mid 60s as they're approaching that that retirement age what are some of the things that these folks need to consider as they start getting older i mean you can go through your your teens, 20s, and 30s without a care in the world and, and zero medical issues, you're quote unquote healthy as a horse. But uh, what, what are some things that need to be considered for this group of people as you start getting into your 40s and 50s and, and just age naturally? Uh, one of the things that I talk to people a lot about is as we get older, it's uh, easier to get injured and takes a lot longer to recover. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of going back to that physical injury thing. If, you roll an ankle in your 40s, it's going to take a lot longer to heal than when you roll your ankle, you know, when you're 20. Now, is a rolled ankle going to stop you from flying? Not necessarily. Um, but there are other things, specifically as we get older, things like arthritis are going to creep in. Is arthritis going to stop you from flying? Well, not initially, but it can get so, so bad that people get knee replacement surgery. So once you start taking medication on a regular basis and you start needing knee replacements, that's obviously something that's going to be reported to the FAA because you got to tell them about all your medications anyway. Um, and that's another thing that we offer on our website is a little medication lookup tool. Uh, I think it's about 40% of all fatal accidents have on the autopsy um, have a, a non-approved medication in the system of the person. Now, was that the cause of the accident? We don't necessarily know. Um, 
but the most common one is is Benadryl, just you know, an antihistamine. And so you you got some allergies creeping up, you take Benadryl, you think, oh, I'm fine, I can fly a day later, but not really. It's heavily sedating and it lasts, you know, that sedating effect can last for several days. It just might not show itself until you get really, really busy. Um, so there's a few other things too. Um, glasses is another one. Probably the most common reason why people in their 40s or early 50s will fail their um, their FAA medical is because either they forgot to bring their reading glasses or they didn't know they needed reading glasses. <laughs> so it never hurts to get reading glasses early. Um, it's not like, oh, I got reading glasses early, so now I'm gonna become dependent on them. Well, eventually everyone's gonna be wearing reading glasses anytime you wanna look at something close anyway. So I would say if you're starting to get that, oh, I need it a lot brighter to read this, or I would really like to you know, zoom in on this, um, or I'm starting to hold things a little bit further away, don't risk your medical by delaying going and getting reading glasses, because that will trip up a lot of people. Right. And, and for those of us in our 40s, maybe it's time to start admitting that we're uh, not 25 year olds anymore. And, and when you go to the gym, take it easy and, and do a little bit more stretching and maybe warm up a little better than you, you used to in the past. And then you also have the, you know, the folks who start getting hypertension or maybe getting close to pre-diabetes, diabetes, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's definitely good to maintain the best health that you can. No, that's great. Preventative care is always something that uh, everyone should be thinking about, even pilots. So that's almost a uh, entire different podcast episode in and of itself. So, uh, but you no, know, Keith, I, I appreciate your time. This has been such an awesome discussion, and I think that uh, uh, you see so much stuff on the forums and on TPN and questions and this and that, and everyone's situation is a little bit different. So. If they want to reach out to you if they've got questions that are specific to their uh, situation, uh, what's the best way to contact you and your partners and, and just Wingman Med in general? So the best way is right on our website, wingmanmed.com, and it has all of the ways you can contact us. Um, our email is pretty easy. It's contact at wingmanmed.com. And one of the other things we do that, you know, we think some of the other services out there don't do is you will almost always talk with a doctor. So you're not going to talk to an administrative person or a nurse. You're going to talk to one of us three as a doctor. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I encourage everyone to who has any, even, even the slightest bit of uh, concern about their situation to reach out, get the real answers. Uh, don't turn to the internet. <laughs> Just reach out to the professionals and, and get some real data before you uh, go in for your medical. Uh, and make sure you're taking care of yourself and your family, first and foremost. It, uh, it, like you said, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. It's important. So if you want to get a hold of Adam or myself, you can always reach out to us at heyguys@thepilotnetwork.com. You can find us on the socials, of course, or thepilotnetwork.com anytime. And uh, just want to point out, we've got TPNX, the, the Pilot Hiring Conference, uh, rapidly approaching. April 23rd and 24th. It's a Saturday, Sunday. It's going to be in Orlando, Florida, uh, right there at the airport. And we've got uh, some major airlines that have already committed uh, that we're really excited to host them and, and anyone else who would like to be there and, uh, and speak to those folks. So uh, as always, fly safe, take care of yourself and keep the shiny side up and the dirty side down. <laughs>